Yeah, y'all got to help me preach. I can stay up here all day, guys. You glad to be at church this morning? You glad to be in the house of God? Man, we, we are in a series uh, called Little Things. That success in your life doesn't come from the big things. It comes from the little things. And how when God can trust you with little things, then eventually God can trust you with big things. I know that you think of yourself as a Christian adult but you are not. You are what the Bible calls a sheep. You are a child of God. It helps me when I approach God like I'm not the adult. Like God is still trying to train me in some very small things in my life that if I would get the small things right, God could do great things. I think sometimes we underestimate what God could do in the long run, but we tend to overestimate what we're trying to do in the short run, which means like we skip over the little stuff and we try to overestimate like next week I'm going to be a huge success and your mom's like you can't keep your underpants off the floor you when I say your mom I mean your wife <laughs> last week we said if the devil can get you to fixate on something out there is the reason why you're not successful or out there on the reason that you're not doing the small things that you need to do in your life if he can get you to fixate on keeping somebody else's tool bag straight. We talked about keeping your tool bag straight. I'm not going to re-preach it. you got to actually listen to it or watch it. If the devil can get you to fixate on somebody else's life, then he'll just sub himself out of the game because you'll beat yourself. And if you concentrate on the only thing that you actually have control over, which is you, and get your tool bag straight and start doing the small things, then God can do something amazing in your life. We also said that we're not trying to get you to add a whole bunch of habits, habits to your life. We're just trying to get you to change some of the poor habits you have to, to tweak them to become better habits. So you're already expending time and energy. Just take your habits that you're, are not getting you success and change them and tweak them so that they can bring you success when they're the habits that, uh, that God would have you have. So little habits like when you wake up in the morning, don't check social, check you version. Bible app on your phone. Who cares what anybody thinks before you find out what God thinks? Just little things that like when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is not going to be about myself anymore. It's going to be about God. It's going to be about the people around me. I'm going to be an energy giver, not an energy taker, not an emotional vampire. Last week, um, I preached about little habits. I preached that if you leave a shirt on the floor, then it gets lonely and then you need to leave another one there for it to have a friend. And how the little things do matter. Because if you can't take the foundation of, of your life are the little things and the little habits. And God can't build something great on something that's uh, shaky in the foundation. One of the gals in the, the box office said to me, thanks for preaching that sermon. This was last week. She said, thanks. I guess I'll go and clean my room <laughs> this afternoon. I said, good. Somebody's listening to the sermon. You know, your body language is a little thing. You don't, you don't. The reason your body language is uh, maybe a little undisciplined or unfriendly is because you don't do what I wish that I could do for you, and that's to videotape you sometime during an argument and be like, this is why your spouse is upset with you because you're a psychopath. Just watch. Watch what she says next. Is she crazy? A body language. Your body language is a small thing. It seems like a, such a small thing to you, but it's huge. Your body language screams at kids. Your body language, if you could honor with your body 
and honor people and be receptive and bring energy and joy? Why is it somebody else's job to make you happy all of the time? That's unfair. Why don't you find joy in the Lord? Why don't you go out and get happy? It, it sounds like a small thing, but it's really a huge thing. And you know, um, today's sermon is called Course Corrections. You can, you, you have two choices. You can course correct really, really early. Like, like somebody as stubborn as me, I normally like to experience it all over here until it's a horrible disaster and then cry out to God for help and then wonder where he went. You know what I've learned in my life is to, I, I would much rather get the little course corrections here because, um, but, but this requires a different kind of strength than when everything falls to pieces over here. Now, you're going to have to do one or the other because correction is much needed in your life. But, but I realized I would rather live in a daily sort of course correction of like, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, just live in this daily sort of thing. But that takes a little bit of uh, good habits to get used to. And I think that we have a misnomer about where course corrections come from. People who hate correction love stepping on rakes. Thanks, Sean. Sean and Nasty have a new motorcycle that God provided for them for literally like two-thirds of what it should have cost them. And God will do that for you for a motorcycle as well, I believe. I just, I just, like, I just like motorcycles. You know, one thing I love about Sean is he loves early course corrections. I think a wise person loves early course corrections, but people who hate correction love stepping on rakes. Um, have you ever stepped on a rake? Go home and try it. Just put your kid's, you know, bike helmet on or something. It's surprising how fast you get smacked in the forehead. See, if you don't love course correction, you probably subscribe more to this thing where you surround yourself with people who feel sorry for foreheads. Come on now. Some of y'all have friends that all you want their friends there is like, oh, you poor thing. Look at you. Yeah, you stepped on another rake and your forehead hurts. Oh, your poor forehead. You know what? I would rather have, rather than friends in my corner who feel sorry for my poor forehead, I would rather have friends in my corner who help me find the rakes and get them out of my yard. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 12 and verse 1, the wise man said, anyone who loves correction loves knowledge. Anyone who hates to be corrected is stupid. <laughs> Chad, if you hate correction, you're stupid stupid Chad. I mean, look at you. If you hate correction, you're stupid. I can feel the Canadian awkwardness right now because y'all are like, you're not technically allowed to say that anymore. Well, I'm not saying it. The Bible says, God says, if you hate correction, you're stupid. Wait, God's not allowed to say that anymore. Last time I checked, he was God and he can do whatever he wants. You know what? He just, if you hate correction, you're stupid. You love to step on rakes. The, the, <laughs> there's nothing worse in my mind than a smart, stupid person. Anybody know some smart, stupid? Anybody hear a smart, stupid? Like, yeah, I know that you're super smart and you outthink everything. And you're just, when it comes down to it, there's just something that keeps you from crossing the finish line and get what God wants. God sends people to you to help pick up rakes. He sends people to you. If you hate correction, you love sore foreheads. 
There's something about you that loves it. You love the attention. You love it when your life falls apart so everybody got to save you. You know what? I decided I don't like feeling like that anymore. I decided one day I don't like feeling stupid. My friend Jason Schantz, he was, um, he was a farm kid. And we were out in a yard one day. And for a young teenage boy, I remember there was a rake with the teeth up in the yard. And he, he runs over there as a young teenage boy and takes the rake and turns it over. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I wasn't going to step on it. And he's like, oh, so stupid. <laughs> stupid. So because I'm an experiential learner, I had to try stepping on a rake one time. Now, I know what I'm looking for, and I'm like, okay, easy, easy, ding. <laughs> then afterwards, I'm like, why would you do something like that? Why would you voluntarily be stupid? But the Bible says, if you hate correction, you are volunteering for stupid. You bought a lottery ticket and won stupid. That's what the Bible is saying. <laughs> Have you ever worked with somebody that was just so dumb that you just, you couldn't tell them anything? Like you just, they thought that they knew everything and you just, you literally, you couldn't get through to them. You could not tell them that they were wrong about something because they're always right. Anybody in your life, you know this, like they're just always right. They're never wrong about anything. I work with a guy named Randy. He was like the hatchet guy of a job site. So there's like the superintendent there. Then there was the guy who, you know, decided what to do with the bodies. <laughs> if you've never been on a job site, you know what I'm talking about. There's a guy who executes all the nasty stuff and yells at everybody. Well, that guy's name on this particular site was Randy. Now, Randy was one of those guys. Sometimes they're good guys. Most of the time they're not. Randy was one of those people you just couldn't tell anything to. He was, a, he was like a jack of all trades. He would try, he had tried a bunch of things, but he was an expert in nothing. And then he'd lecture you about my trade. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything about this. You know just enough about everything to be really, really dangerous, you know? And Randy, one time, he, he calls me up. And it's a Friday afternoon where we're, we'd been on a job in Rocky for like a year. He calls me up like months later and says, hey, I thought you said there was nothing buried, no power buried out here underground. I've told this story before. And I'm like, well, yeah, everything went overhead except for the main service coming from the transformer. And he goes, yeah, I dug through that. <laughs> 2,000 amp service. I'm like, what do you mean you dug through it? It was 10 feet down buried in concrete. He goes, I dug through the concrete. And then I dug through the pipes. This Randy, this is who I'm talking about. I'm like, didn't you check the prints? He's like, maybe you should have before I dug through it. I'm like, I did check it. That's why they're where they're supposed to be. You just couldn't tell him anything. One time there was a, there was a, look, and if you don't think that it's fair for me telling a story for a guy who's not here, well, the reason that I'm telling a story, because he would never go to church. Look, your life will be a story that somebody else uses to train people until you get tired of being stupid. And so Randy, one time, there was a, the, the, one of the, uh, the drywallers, he was sanding around a sprinkler head, and he accidentally hit the sprinkler head, and it's flooding the room that they're in. Finished floor, finished room. Randy runs downstairs, and Randy, he runs downstairs to the mechanical room. There's a mechanical electrical panel. If you're not in the industry, I'll just shake it down for you. Electricity. And then there was the sprinkler tree. Remember now, we just knocked a sprinkler head off. Water was coming out. Water sprinkler. Electrical panel. He looks at this. He looks at that. Basement shut off. First floor shut off. Second floor shut off. Third floor. 
Electrical panel. He finds a key to the electrical panel that he should never have had because of people like him. He unlocks it because everything in the construction process, what we had to do in this electrical panel is we had to hook up all the faces of the building right at the very beginning of it. That's why we had everything locked off because we couldn't get back into the service equipment after the building was up. So we had to do this. That's why we locked it off. And he gets the key somehow. He opens the electrical panel and because the room is filling with electricity, he shuts the breakers off that are on. Well, wouldn't you know it killed all the building functions? The electrical building functions. He runs back upstairs. The springs are still going. Huh. Then he runs back down to the sprinkler tree and shuts it off. This happened on a Saturday. We get out to work on a Monday. No phone call. We get out to work on a Monday. We're just about ready to leave. It's Monday afternoon. We're like in the van ready to go. And he's like, oh yeah, a sprinkler went off. And I'm like, okay, what's it got, got to do with me? He's like, and I turned all the breakers off in the mechanical panel. I'm like, how did you get a key? He's like, and then what? Well, I turned all the breakers back on in the mechanical panel. I'm like, all of them, all of them, all of them. I'm like, the ones that are attached to tech cable up in the attic, those ones? He's like, I don't know, your problem. <laughs> Pastor Corey lost his Holy Spirit for the third time in his career that day. Because stuff like that burns buildings down and kills people. And I realized, you know, why didn't he just call? Why didn't he just ask a question? Why didn't he, was he not curious enough? Did he, he just thought that he knew more than he knew. But you know what, when you're like that and you hate correction, then what happens is you'll, stu you'll only start hanging out with fools who also hate correction and you won't hang out with wise people and you won't have good relationships with wise people who could help you. And so he was afraid to call anybody because he might look stupid. And that's it right there. You only have two options in this life. You can either be stupid or you can look stupid. But stupid... There are times in your life, he was so afraid of somebody telling him or looking stupid to somebody else that he would rather be stupid than look stupid because he didn't know something. And I realized that's it right there. The pride that puts us in this place of like, I would rather you think well of me than me actually be a wise person. I would rather, Josh, I would rather that you think I'm wise than actually be wise. And I realize that is a sickness in Canadian culture right now. Why we don't love early course corrections. We don't love, why? Because, because we think, we think that we can course correct from the inside. Now, now, human pride says course correct yourself, but it's tricky when self is the problem. Paul, the apostle knew this about himself. And he better than you. He's like, I do things that I hate doing and I don't do the things that I ought to do. I got a problem. And you and I are like, oh, I don't have a problem. I can fix myself. No, see, when a sprinkler goes off, it doesn't fix itself. You have problems in your life that there are indicators, little trouble alarms going like beep, beep, beep. And you know that something is wrong. You might even know what area of life it's wrong in. But that's way different than being able to fix it yourself. What if you're not designed to fix self with self? Has your brain ever put its hand up in the middle of an argument and, and been like, whoa, I fell asleep for a while. What are we talking about? <laughs> like, obviously I'm not present. 
Has your brain ever admitted that the last stupid thing it talked you into was its fault? Like, no, that was me, man. I don't know what I was thinking. You shouldn't trust me anymore. We got any emotional people in the house? Have your emotions ever put their hand up and been like, sorry, I had a two-year-old moment there. Yeah, no, I'm definitely the problem. You shouldn't listen to me right now. Self never volunteers that it's the problem. It doesn't. We're built with this human nature that just won't accept responsibility because we don't even know how to fix it. And we don't even have the power to fix self. The word of God says in a different paraphrase, it says self-help is no help at all. Now, I don't mean that you can't help yourself and you can't do things. What I mean is when self is the problem, self is no help at all. Because you need course correction. And here's the thing that you and I need to understand. It comes from outside of you. It comes from outside of you. If you don't understand that, you're going to have a long and very disappointing life. Where do we think the problems in the human race come from? Outside of the human race? Have you met people? The word of God says, why does the path that leads to destruction? Many people go down there. Narrow is the path that leads to life. There are few people who find it. Do you know the only way to stay on a mountain path without falling off a mountain path? Is to having people correcting you and guiding you and people that you can follow. And God sends, course, God sends people to you to pick up the rakes in your yard. He sends people to you to be like, there's a rake there. And you're like, no, there's not. They're like, you can walk over there and step on it if you want. Or you can just, and God sends people to you and shows them what's wrong with you and shows them how to fix you. Anybody love being fixed by other people? Go ahead. Some brave soul out there like, I love it. Yeah, your wife is sitting beside you. It'd be the last thing you ever did. Nobody loves it. When you understand that about yourself, nobody loves being corrected by other people. When you understand that about yourself, it kind of goes a long ways. I worry about people who think they can course correct themselves. Why? Because I used to, and it made me stupid. You know what, um, before you commit to something or make a partnership or before you do something, you should really experiment on people a little bit more. I was thinking about this. <laughs> experiment, experiment. Do you know what I want? Before I'll give you a leadership position in the church, do you know what I'll do? I'll experiment with you. Some of you are going to be like, that's what you were doing. Yeah. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does this with me like every day. You know what I'll do? Before I'll, I'll put somebody or I'll put somebody in a leadership position, then I'll, I'll experiment on them a little bit and see how they're actually doing. You know what I'll do? I'll correct them about something. I'll throw a last minute curveball in there to see what they do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, hey, go over and mess up Candace's life right now. No, listen, hey, go ask her to do this thing. If, if my kids, if I'm worried about what Neela is doing, I'll just be like, hey, can you come over and do this thing? I'll throw something in there just to see how they adapt to it. I'll be like, hey, that's not right the, the right way to do this. Why don't you try this instead? And see, it will tell me where she's at. And the Holy Spirit does this to me all the time. Experiment. If you want to see what a person is really like, put them in a position where they get corrected from outside. And you'll see what really comes out. Watch somebody. I mean, girls, before you even date somebody, put them in a situation where they get corrected by somebody. And bring them over to me. I'll do it. I don't care. I'll just, I'll just, I just want to see what they're like. I want to see if, they, if they're stupid. 
I want to see if they're stupid or if they're wise. Hey, have you ever tried doing it this way? Well, no. You want to marry that guy? He's Mr. Right. If you enjoy living with somebody who's never wrong, marry that guy. I always tell this to girls, never marry a man without a pastor. Why? Because he's going to want to be the Lord God Almighty in your house. I'm like, never marry. Listen. Never marry a girl who can't listen to her boss. She won't listen to you either. Come on. It's the court. Come on. If you don't help me preach this, I'll go all day. I got more than that. It's this idea of, listen, if you only do what you agree with, listen, that's what the devil does. The devil never does anything he disagrees with. That's why he's the devil. Jesus came to the earth and said, I don't do anything that I want to do. I do what my father wants me to do. I obey. Well, when I obey and I, and I don't agree with something, then that lessens me as a person. Jesus said, Jesus, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what that. If you can't do what you're told, if you can't do when you disagree, the devil does the same thing. You think you're in good company? You're not in good company. There's this other life that God wants. God wants to bless you before you even understand how he's blessing you. But if you only do what you understand, you're going to step on rakes. You're going to get so far in your life, you're just going to keep stepping on rakes. That's good, pastor. Preach that, pastor. Yeah, we're with you. <laughs> Look, some of us are more worried that people might think we're stupid than if we actually are stupid. We, then what we do is we spend our whole lifetimes working on on our projection, the projection of self to people, which means I'm not working on me anymore. I'm working on what you think of me. I'm working on what you see of me. I'm, I'm, I want you to think well of me. So I'm going to be this way to you, but then this person over here, I'm going to be this way to her. And then I'm going to be this and I'm going to be all these divided people. I'm drunk. Why? Cause I care. <laughs> I'm drunk on the thought of what you think of me. I need what you think of me. And this is why we get insecure and proud. And this is why we feel unloved because we're trying to be things to everybody when all we should be doing is like, what should I be God? I shouldn't really care what you think about me all that much. I should care what God thinks about me. And if God sends you to you to me with the message, then, and God is like, Hey, I, I'm not thinking highly of you right now. Cause you're being stupid. I should be like, Oh, thank you. A wise person. Thank you. Oh my goodness. If I'd have gone on in that direction, we'd have had a problem. The only way to avoid being stupid is to look stupid. The only way to, I don't know how many times I've said this to our land agent right now, to our building agent. We're just in a deal right now with a, a building venue church. I'm like, before I sign on that dotted line, I'm like, we'll be having conversations and he'll say a word that I don't know. And I'll, I'll just be like, stop. And I've said this more than once. Can you explain this to me? Like I'm five. I don't know that word. Well, you say that you probably look like an idiot. If I, um, if I want to look smart when I'm not smart, I'm going to sign on the dotted line and you're going to have to pay for it. Would you rather I did that? I'd rather look stupid a little bit and be like, well, I don't know. Why would I know that? I don't know everything. I just realized like, no, it's, it's, a, it's an image thing versus what's actually going on in, inside of me thing. Second Chronicles 18, we've been talking about Jehoshaphat. Now he did really well last week, didn't he? He did so much better than his dad. Well, this week, what he does is worse than anything you've ever done. You're going to go home feeling good but you're still going to have to clean your room. 
Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem, and he made an alliance, though, after he was doing well. This is the problem, Canada. After we were doing so well, what happened, you were still made for war. And if you have too much peace and too much prosperity, then you get slack and lazy, and you forget that you need God. And he, uh, he made an alliance with Ahab, king of Israel, by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. Now, King Ahab had a, a, a little-known wife who was a 100% psycho named Jezebel. Everybody's heard of Jezebel. Don't name your kid Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel had a daughter named Athaliah. King Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with Ahab and Jezebel by marrying his son, his firstborn son, who are always the best sons. Mary... <laughs> this one wasn't the best son. Why? Because his dad gave him away in marriage to a psycho's daughter. He did this. He didn't consult the Lord. He did it because he, was a, he started doing what his father did. And he started getting worried about alliances and kingdoms and things outside of his toolbox. And then he gave away the best thing that he had to a crazy person. He did not seek godly counsel. He did not seek course correction before things went wrong. He committed himself before he sought God's counsel. A few years later, he went to Samaria Ahab enticed or lured Jehoshaphat to join forces to recover a city called Ramath Gilead. Will you go with me? Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course, you and I are as one. And my troops are your troops. I can imagine God in heaven is just like, stupid, stupid. My troops are as your troops, psychopath. We will certainly join with you in battle. This is why Dave Ramsey says, don't co-sign for somebody else's loan. What are you doing? Then Jehoshaphat added, watch, and this is, this is what we do for appearance sake. But first, let's find out what the Lord says. But f right, first, let's find out what the Lord says. Like first, after I marry my son to Jezebel's daughter, like first after that, I guess. And then first after I commit, I, I go to this birthday party and I drink too much. And then I commit, come on. And then I commit my army with this guy's army, who's a crazy person. Like after, I guess first after all of these things, and that's what you and I do. We, we consult God after all of these stupid decisions that we do. And um, the king of Israel summoned the prophets, 400 of them, and asked, should we go to war or should we hold back? They all replied, yes, go ahead. God will give king vict uh, the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. So there was 400 prophets, but they were not prophets of Yahweh. And Canadian culture, this is where we're extremely weak right now because we think to ourselves, 400 prophets can't be wrong. 400 lemmings can't run off a cliff. The entire population can't be wrong. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many go that way. Very few find the path to life. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there's one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micah. <laughs> You're a drama king, right? Like, grow up, man. You're like a king of a nation here. He's mean to me. So Hasaphat replies, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. And God in heaven must be like, that's not a way a king should talk that you allied yourself to, you idiot. Look what... The messenger went to Micah to get him. Look, all the prophets are promising victory, he says. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. <laughs> Micah replies, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll say what he says, and I don't work for stupid. <laughs> I don't work for that guy. That guy's stupid. I don't work for him. I work for the Lord. I'm going to 
Isn't that what a prophet is supposed to do? Just speak what the Lord says and not try to make somebody happy? Then Micah said in a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Watch this. Sorry, I'm choking on water, not COVID. (coughs) I hope. (laughs) Didn't I tell you, the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Micah's like, I saw Israel and basically the king is dead. This is the emotional equivalent. When you get, and you hate correction, this is how stupid it makes you. God sends somebody to save your life in battle and you hate them because they're mean. This was like, it would be like Pastor Aaron calling you up on the phone before you go to work and being like, Josh, don't take the truck, take the car. I feel like the brakes in the truck aren't working. And And Josh would be like, I hate you. You were always in here messing up my life and the prophet of doom in my life. I want, I'm going to drive whatever I want to drive. <laughs> this is how stupid it makes us. God is trying to save you. It just hurts your feelings a little bit. It's like when somebody tackles you out of the way of the bus and you get angry because it hurt when you got tackled. Arrest him, the king of Israel orders. And Jehoshaphat watches as another prophet is put in jail because that's what his dad did because his dad was stupid. Then under the heading that says the death of Ahab, like the death of stupid, which is maybe not a bad thing. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel, Jehoshaphat has all these turn back moments and he doesn't take a single one of them. So as the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, as we go into battle, I'll disguise myself so no one will recognize me and try to kill me. But you, by all means, wear your royal robes, please. (laughs) Some of y'all got friends like that. Real smart ones. Like, hey, I'm going to be in trouble here. So can you just hang out there in case the cops come? Yeah. The stupid, watch Jehoshaphat. He's a smart guy, but he's stupid. Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to the chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So Ahab's like, maybe his spies found this out. And he's like, whew, that was a close call. Jehoshaphat, you dress up. I'm not going to because I don't want to die. Yeah, he kind of does though. He kind of wants to. Because he's not listening to the prophet. Now it says the king of Aram. Do you remember the king of Aram? The king of Aram that Jehoshaphat's dad made a treaty with instead of destroying. That king of Aram. Which means if you won't fight the battle, your son will have to fight the same king. If you won't fight it, the youth group will have to go through and fight it and figure it out the way you figured it out. When half your life was gone. If you won't fight the battle, fathers and mothers, then your kids will have to fight the same battles. But God has better battles for them to fight than the ones that you were supposed to fight. So we need to go out ahead of and get ahead of this. So when the Armenian uh, chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. Watch what God does. They, they thought he was the king of Israel, but Jehoshaphat called out and the Lord saved him. God helped him by turning the attackers away. Why? Because God is just kind to stupid people. Come on, church. Can I hear it? Amen. God is just kind. He should have left you by the road a long time ago where he found you, but he didn't because God is good and God is kind. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot Ahab through the joints in his armor. They take him out of the battle. He dies. Now, Jehoshaphat, before I get into my final text, Jehoshaphat is in a place that you and I find ourselves in this morning. Where he's like, well, 
Obviously, I've been pretty stupid. What am I going to do now? Because the only way to stop being stupid is to look stupid. He's like, my, my dad never came back here. He continued to want to look wise instead of be wise. My dad wouldn't cross this bridge. Some of your parents wouldn't cross that bridge of humility. You know what he does? He makes a decision this day that changes the rest of that kingdom forever. Now, he's already lost his son. Did I tell you what happened to his son? So when his son finally takes the throne over, this is how bad it got. When the son finally takes the throne over, he has six of his brothers killed who are, he, he fears for the throne. And the prophet says, every one of those brothers of yours was better than you. And then Athaliah, the, the woman that he married, eventually killed off the entire royal family in Judah. Jehoshaphat's made mistakes like you and I have made mistakes. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't keep making the same mistakes. Right now he makes a decision. He's like, it says, when King Jehoshaphat arrived safely at home, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer. Hanani was the prophet whom rebuked his father, but his father wouldn't listen and threw him in jail. The son of the prophet comes to him, to Jehoshaphat. How will he respond? He went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He asked the king. Because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Now, are you going to respond in anger? Or are you just going to... He takes a rake over and gives him a good smack with it. That's what he... Man, you need people in your life who aren't afraid of you, who just like, you stupid. What were you thinking? Stop, the, stop it right now. Let's go on. Let's move forward. He says, even though there's some good in you, you've removed the astro poles throughout the land, uh, pagan gods, and have committed yourself to seeking God. Watch what he does. This is what I want our hearts to be, Venue Church. He lived in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat, but he went out among the people. He went among the people. He traveled through the hill country. He encouraged the people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He's like, I left for a little while. I made some stupid decisions, but I came back. Would you come back with me? He appoints judges throughout the nation in all the fortified towns. This is what he says to the judges. Watch this. He's like, always think carefully before pronouncing judgment. And I don't think that's all that he said. I think he's like, because there was, I made these three decisions and they wrecked my son's life. Think carefully. I didn't think carefully. I just, I just went out and did it. I was just afraid of what, watch what he says next. Remember, you do not judge to please people. You judge to please the Lord. He's like, oh, I thought what I, I cared what Ahab thought of me. I even thought what my, I cared what my son and his daughter thought. I, I cared what people thought about me. He's like, you cannot do You have to care only what the Lord thinks about you. He will be with you as you render the verdict in each case. He's like, he left me because he doesn't hang out with stupid. And that's on me. That's on me. If I do these things, if I judge to please the Lord, if I, if I care and think carefully, then the Lord will be with me. He says, fear the Lord and judge with integrity. For the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. Then it says, in Jerusalem, he appointed some of the Levites and priests. Now watch this, Canada, if you want a path to success. Watch. He appoints church leaders and clan leaders to serve as judges for cases involving the Lord's regulations and for civil disputes. He says, you must always act in the fear of the Lord, not in the fear of people, not in the fear of disease, not in the fear, come on, of bankruptcy, not in the fear of anything, but the fear of the Lord. If you act in any other, uh, but the fear of the Lord, you are not fit to lead people with faithfulness and an undivided heart. And then he says this in verse 11, he says, Amariah, the high priest will have final say in all cases involving the Lord. And now this is the model Canada that we have fallen from. He says, the high priest whom God appoints, who is not voted in, 
who, who God does not care what you think of, the, the one that God appoints here will have the final say in all cases involving the Lord. In all cases, here, here's what he's saying, of human morality, of human ethic, of the sanctity of life, of not just justice, but how we do justice. He's like, this person is answerable because they shepherd the souls of people. He's like, I speak to this person about that. And Jehoshaphat says in this moment, he's like, this person has the final say and I don't because that's not my role because I can be tricked here. He's like, I, look at my past. He's like, no, we're gonna give this to the priest now. The priests need this. And he says, a leader from the tribe of Judah named Zebediah will have final say in all civil cases. So justice and wisdom. Now I could do a whole teaching about this, justice and wisdom, civil cases. Let's talk about speed limits. Let's talk about, okay, what happened in the COVID crisis is that, is that the government and the clan leaders started talking about issues of morality and human sanctity of life. Stay in your lane. That's what, it's, it's hate if you do this. If you don't do this, you don't love people. If you, no, 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 God is the one who talks about human morality. God decides, God, the law of God. And he's saying, no, you guys talk about justice and it was a disease. It had nothing to do with human morality. It was a disease. The Levites will assist you in making sure justice is served because how you serve justice matters. You need to serve it while you love people. Yeah, you need to do justly, but you need to love mercy. Not just punish people. You need to, come on, correct in love. You need to, this is how we shepherd people. Take courage as you fulfill your duties and may the Lord be with those who do what is right. There are many who call themselves experts. I mean, you got to do 10,000 hours of something to be an expert at it. And we had all these so-called experts in pandemic who have never lived through one worldwide pandemic. First time through everybody. Were they experts? Can you imagine God in heaven is like leading expert? Who to talk to? Who to talk to? Maybe I'll talk to whoever shows up in my house on Sunday. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk to these people and maybe I'll help the priests and maybe I'll... Listen, whoever is closest to Christ, that, that's it. If you want to be an expert at something, listen, you're never going to be an expert at something God is. You don't need to be an expert if he is. This is how you have to posture yourself in a way that, that Christ did. He, he opened it. When I worship, I open my hands. Sometimes it's like, hey, this is a cross, God. Not my will, but your will be done. What do you want me to do next? I posture myself like a dead man walking. Dead men don't need to look wise to people. I don't care if I look. I have to get to this place in my heart where I'm like, yeah, sin makes me stupid. I don't want to be stupid anymore. God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want to send to me to help? Father, I pray for every person that we'd be correctable in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.